listening in to the very first episode of the Rapid Ascent podcast. My name is Ben Hucker. I look after all the media and communications for Rapid Ascent here in Torquay. And we are coming to you this morning from our offices, humble offices here in Torquay. Uh, it's a bit cold, but the sun's up and the day's looking okay. Our very first guest this morning has an extraordinary t- story to tell. Uh, we'll come to that in a moment, but in the meantime, it's a big warm welcome to our first guest ever, Sean Purcell. Welcome, Sean. G'day, Ben. Thanks for having me, mate. All good. Thanks for coming in. I really appreciate it. No worries at all. Excited. Yeah, we're super excited to have you in for our first episode. So you've officially entered um, at one of our trail running events that happening later in the year in Alice Springs, Run Lara Clinton. I have, mate. Yes. How's your training going? It's going okay. We'll um, talk a little bit more about that later on. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's okay, just okay at the moment. Oh, that's good. Yeah. It's better than nothing. Yeah. So. <laughs> sure. yeah, so I guess we can come to your training methods and a little bit more about your story in a minute. But yeah. um, let's take a few steps back. So yes. you're running along the beach in Torquay. Um, all of a sudden you collapse. Uh, your heart stops beating. Yep. You basically go into a cardiac arrest. Yeah. I'm guessing you can't really remember what happened next, but... Can you give us your version of events from there? Well, mate, you've pretty much given us the whole story there. <laughs> so we're sorted. But, um, yeah, that looks so I suppose why you've asked me on this podcast, I'm definitely not an elite athlete. Um, I'm assuming you're going to have a lot of elite athletes on the podcast uh, moving forward. So my story is very, very different to that. Um, and the reason that I'm running in Larapinta is very, very different um, to the reason that a lot of people would run a four-day endurance marathon. Um, yeah, and so the story starts July 13, 2014, right here in our town. Um, and it's an amazing story, and it's not a story about me or what I did. It's a story about what humans are capable of in the face of direct adversity. Um, and also the face of direct opportunity, but um, I'm the I'm the direct recipient of um, the dedication of ten people to save my life, and and it all started with running, mate. I, I, I woke up uh, that Sunday morning um, with what's commonly known as man flu. Something right. that, that many of us, uh, all us man. that's right, women uh, really don't understand <laughs> the, the gravity of man flu. Um, and I'd had it for two weeks and I was off it, uh, to be honest. I was, I was sick of um, having days off work. I was sick of being crook. So um, in my infinite wisdom, I decided to grab my wife's little dog and we headed down to White's Beach, which uh-huh. um, has a span of about sort of, 3K, I suppose, from, from the boat ramp to the point for anyone out there who knows it. That's the local beach here in Tolkien. Yep, yep, that's the one. And um, we hit the beach. I started running and straight away um, I was in trouble. And, again, um, I don't remember any of this. This is all um, stories told to me by a number of witnesses. Um, but I looked grey and sweaty um, and, and really, really out of shape from the get-go, from people who know me, who saw me running. Uh, 500 metres in, uh, my heart started to fail. So it started to fill with blood um, and it stopped, pretty much stopped pumping out blood. Um, And as most people would know, that your heart stops beating, the outcome is usually pretty dire. And and I was was running bare feet on the hard sand, right on the water's edge. Um, and I veered into the water. So I veered to my left, fell to my knees, face first in the water, and I was dead. Um, You were clinically dead? Yep. Yeah. Non-responsive, no heartbeat, no breathing. Um, The next thing that happened, though, it was truly amazing, Um, and that's where four blokes, just strangers, uh, one was a retired nurse, ex-army officer and a couple of a businessmen and a chef who had been, all of them had extensive first aid training. None of them knew each other. They pulled me out of the water, flipped me over, saw that I was non-responsive and started CPR straight away. A couple of onlookers um, called Triple O and were told straight away that that was going to be 45 minutes before right. they were going to get assistance. 
Sorry, do you know how long you'd been in the water? I was time? probably only a minute tops. Um, they got to me within sort of 30 seconds and it flipped me. Um, they saw me falling and, and realised I wasn't mucking around. So they, they pulled me out straight away. Um, so they continued that CPR for uh, the next sort of two or three minutes, checked my vitals, non-responsive, no heartbeat, not breathing, and they continued to, uh, to circle around. Uh, the next two women that came along, uh, one of them, her name was Lee Bartlett, a local here. She is solely responsible, and this is told to me by a number of different parties, mm -hmm. for saving my life, basically. She, as part of her role at the Janjuk Surf Lifesaving Club, which is Janjuk's right next door to Torquay, yep. down in our, our sleepy little town. Yeah. Um, she is responsible for coordinating CPR training. And so she had extensive understanding of CPR and she took control of the situation. So what's, um, what's panning out here, mate, is, is basically six people that have been told they're going to get no assistance for 45 minutes, um, taking initiative, making some amazing executive decisions to ensure that I had the best chance of survival possible. At about the 10-minute mark, non-responsive. So still no heartbeat, not breathing. Right. A uh, couple of other gentlemen, one bloke was 10K into his run along the beach, dropped to their knees and started helping as well, uh, all under the tutelage of Lee and under the watchful eye of the local police that really had nothing to do except a bit of crowd control, um, you know, and they later told me they were in awe of the decision-making going on by this group of people. So that kept happening until about the 30, 35 minute mark where I was still non-responsive. Um, I don't know if you've ever been faced with anything like that before, mate, but, and I certainly haven't, but I can imagine how scary that would be for those people, essentially keeping me alive by pushing the blood around my body manually, externally. Absolutely, yeah. Um, would be absolutely um, petrifying, I reckon. Um, so is that about the 30-minute mark that a woman called Lisa Ham arrived and she knew Lee and they both agreed that my heart wasn't going to start. It had been far too long and they needed to source a defibrillator, which uh, they had all called around and they'd found one at the Sands Golf Club, which is probably... Uh, geographically two kilometres from where I was. Uh, the thing was that the club couldn't get the defibrillator to the location that I dropped in. Um, for anyone listening that knows White's Beach, it's protected by these monstrous sand dunes yep. that are hard work to get through if you find a path, let alone not being able to find yeah. a path. Um, the only bloke on reception that day had um, just had a knee, injury, a knee operation, I think, so by the time Lisa had to foot it, she just had to keep running basically. Uh, and she ran through the soft sand, one and a half Ks through the dunes, got to the Sands Golf Club and the guy was waiting for her in a golf buggy with the defibrillator. <laughs> Jump in, she hopped in, he took her back as far as he possibly could until the, the track ran out. She ran the defibrillator down to my location uh -huh. where it was. Um, they ripped open my shirt. My, I was soaking wet. The guys working on me were soaking wet. The tide was coming in. They had to constantly move my body. And um, they were about to hit the button when one of the women said, wait, if we hit that button, the water's going to act as a um, oh, okay. conduit for the electrical current and we're all going to die, basically. We're all, he's going to take us all with him. Um, so someone said that in the heat of the moment, actually thought of that. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? And that was the first moment of hesitation throughout that 45 minutes. So until then, it had been absolutely clinical uh, and incredibly coordinated by upwards of 10 strangers, people yeah. who didn't know each other, um, collaborating, Barley and Lisa. No, no doctors, just... No. 
a couple of people here knew CPR. That's it, or, or an ex-nurse. And, and the vital thing to understand in it, though, is that all of them had been CPR trained. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I've subsequently done a lot of talking on behalf of um, CPR companies to, to encourage people to, to get their CPR. I'm a walking, living, breathing proof that, that, it's, yeah. that it works. Um, so it was at that point, um, and it's funny you say there's no doctors, it was at that point that a third-year med student ran over right. um, and said that he had um, done training with defibrillators the week before. So... Absolutely phenomenal situation, really. Training with the DFEB literally a week before. Literally a week before. Studies. Unbelievable. And yeah. and got to his knees, he said, we'll be right. It's not going to act as a conductor. Hit the button and my heart started. And, you know, Jeff Bruff, who was the policeman on duty, said it was like someone had kicked the goal at the MCG. Uh, the, the crowd went up, everyone was hugging right. and crying and, the crowd's starting to build at this stage. Yeah, there's a fair bit. So he was holding people back and asking people to leave and not look on and stuff. Um, so there was a really good feeling for that sort of 10-second period until my heart stopped again. Um, and they hit the button again and my heart started again. And uh, from that point on, mate, it was just uh, just controlled um, sense of trying to keep my heart from stopping again Um, and that's the exact time that the helicopter arrived and two or three ambulances and paramedics made their way to my body and stabilised me. Um, So the helicopters come from Melbourne? uh, The helicopter came from Geelong Geelong. but was out previously so um, now that couldn't land on the beach, tried, couldn't which which sort of sunk a few hearts. It ducked back over the back of the dunes to a patch of grass and um, is this the Westpac chopper? It wasn't, no, it was a, I'm not sure it was, it looked like a, just an ambulance chopper yep. uh, in the photos. So at that point, um, you know, one of the first things that the um, Ambose said was, can someone control that dog that keeps trying to bite everyone? It was my wife's little yap yap dog that had been thinking I was under attack for the last uh, 45 minutes. And, and they, they found my wife's um, uh, phone number on that tag and called her and, and got her to come down to the beach. And um, for Cal, my wife, that started uh, this sort of new phase in our life where she, she'd seen me vulnerable for the first time in our life or in the most vulnerable position and fighting for my life. Uh, she saw me briefly on the beach before they put me in the helicopter and they took me to the Geelong Hospital. Uh, and then she saw me later that day when they'd stabilised me. Um, and so she obviously beside herself. So yeah. What's your wife's I name? think uh, so Kelly, Kelly, my lovely wife Kelly, her, um, I think, shock, a little bit of shock kicked in maybe. Um, and it took her a while to understand exactly what had happened. Um, but she was... Basically taken into a room with my two sons from a previous marriage, Kai and Byron. Um, my mum and dad and my two brothers came down from Melbourne. Uh-huh. And they're all taken into a room and told, look, prognosis is really bleak. Um, he's in a coma at the moment. Is probably that I was probably not going to survive that night. Get out there and, and say goodbye. And um, and that's what they did. They, they sort of sat with me for the day. Right. Yeah. Cal uh, went home. And from that point, uh, she sort of laid in bed waiting for the phone call. At no point did she really think that I was going to leave her. I think she knew in the back of her mind that everything was going to be okay, regardless of of what they were saying. The next day she got in, uh, obviously no phone call, Mm. sat at my bedside and was constantly told, look, there's no brain activity. Um, So if Sean wakes up, uh, you've got to sort of start thinking about what grade of brain damage he's going to have and thinking about life. So at best, at this stage, brain damage? At best. If not death, then? High-end brain damage, yeah. Brain brain damage at best. Yeah, yeah. vegetable status was sort of thrown around. Um, And Kelly thought, that's okay, you know, and she she sat down with me and talked me through her thought process and it was, as long as you're alive, it doesn't matter, she'll take anything. Um... 
so that was the next four days, Benny, pretty much. She'd come in. I'd stay in my car. I was in a coma, no brain activity, until day five when she drove in and the bed was surrounded by um, doctors and my eyes were open. She came over and, and um, they, you know, quickly pulled her aside and said, look, he's non-responsive, his eyes are open, he's not tracking anyone, he's not talking. But then sort of day two, I started mumbling. Day three, um, I started talking and answering questions. Uh-huh. Um, and at about day five, I got out of bed with a frame and, and walked to the toilet. And the neurologist freaked out at that stage. Uh-huh. Yeah, they just could not believe what had happened. Um, and for any... Um, the walking... Obviously with a frame, but otherwise, okay. Just fine, answering questions. Um, no, any recollection at this stage? Nah, still none. Didn't I was know high, as a, hospital. high as a kite still. Yeah. I don't even remember being in ICU. Yeah. But, um, uh, you know, for any sort of, um, anyone in the medical profession out there listening to this, you're probably be thinking, how did that happen? And we still don't know why I ended up with 100% brain function back. And... Um, although that's been debated, Benny, by a lot of my friends and family, whether there is actually 100% brain function or not. But <laughs> from your point of view, from my, yeah, I reckon. I'd like to think so. Um, but the the common thought process is that I was resuscitated on freezing cold sand. It was the middle of winter, um, and that there it limited the swelling of my brain when I was getting CPR, which is, yep. again, it's uh, the best possible outcome bar yeah. an ICU room to get resuscitated in. So very, very lucky man. Even going up in the, in the helicopter poses risks, doesn't it? Like, yeah. Well, it increases that's... the oxygen in your brain. Exactly. Altitude, so. um, exactly, mate. And, and one of the um, people on the ground that were helping me knew one of the paramedics that had attended to me and they had a off the... Um, off the uh, grid talk, um, off the record talk, and, and that was that I wasn't going to survive the helicopter ride, essentially. Right. Yeah. Um, so you can imagine what that would feel like. Yeah. Being walking away from that, thinking instead of getting your morning coffee, you'd, you'd been involved with trying to save someone's life and they yeah. survive. And it was just your regular Sunday morning. That's it, yeah. Like a lot of people. Yeah, sun, uh, sun was up, very similar to like it is today, cold but sunny, um, and changed the lives of a lot of people that day. Um, imagine. Especially mine and my family. So I had a defibrillator implanted in my chest. I was taken into the cardiac ward where we found out that my heart was fine. Um, there was nothing wrong with it. It just stopped. Um, which, you know, scares the shit out of a lot of endurance athletes that I talk to and, yeah. and we see it a lot in this industry, um, people just dropping dead during during a run. Um, the That has happened on a number of ultra-marathon events. And definitely, yeah, which, you know, I see that and it breaks, obviously, pardon the pun, it breaks my heart, mate. And um, Yeah, not to scare the listeners, but with, I guess, proper management preparation, then... Definitely, you can yeah. Avoid these things. Well, yeah, just be mindful of it, I suppose. But the uh, the theory is that that man flu that I had, we later found out while I was in a coma, it was a high end lung infection, um, right. and my, I had my lungs pumped during the coma, and they said I should have been hospitalised for that okay. already. And and the idea, the theory is that that infection attacked the wall of my heart, um, triggering some issues with my electrical current. And that caused my heart to stop. So um, outside of that, there's not many people that survive what I survived. So yeah. it's just a theory um, and we don't really know what happened. Yeah, I watched the, the interview you did with the project Yeah, uh, just prior to this interview and I think there was a, quite a prominent doctor who said that it was only one in ten chance. Yeah, well, and, and my as a normal person. current cardiologist team that I work with um, – in the Alfred Hospital, um, Justin Mariani. Um, you know, we've had subsequent conversations and, you know, it's it's even a lot tighter than that, sort of a yeah. one, two, three percent chance of survival under those circumstances. Um, so I'm an incredibly lucky man. Very, very. Yeah. It's great to have you here. Mate, it's good to be <laughs> it's here. It's doing the interview. Good to so be alive. Incredible. Um, I guess after that incident, you kind of began a search, I guess, for the people that helped you 
that day. I did, yeah. So things and absolutely. Looks six months off after that. Um, so no, I promised six my wife. Six months off work. Yeah, so I was in the finance industry just previous to that, and I hated it. Yep. To be honest, mate, I was I was terrible at it. It didn't inspire or motivate me at all. Um, Related to that, having worked yeah. in finance for twelve years. Well, so. talking to a fellow. Uh, who's yeah, escaped and got into something that fulfills you oh, it's a great industry but not for everyone so. yeah yeah absolutely and for me especially mate it just didn't play to my skill set and it didn't play to my passions um i did it for financial reasons to to help better the life of myself and my family yeah. but ultimately um it literally killed me uh the work that i was doing yeah um I promised my wife I'd never go back to it. Um, didn't know what I was going to do. I um, thankfully had, um, you know, s- some uh, insurances set in place yeah. to, to look after myself in the case of, of getting sick. So that was one bonus coming yeah. out of the finance industry. Um, so you worked in insurance? I worked, yeah, that was part of the role. Yeah. Um, the rest of it I can't really remember, to be honest, mate. I, right. Yeah, I lost uh, the better part of 18 to two years worth right. of of memory it's very very patchy so it's all just a little bit like a dream really yeah um so what i was going to do i didn't know but but what i had to do was just focus on recovery and getting better and uh that's what i did um feverishly um a lot of resting a lot of um sort of taking care of myself and one thing that was everything that was great mate life was fantastic in that mm-hmm. period i was spending time with my kids um kai bj and my stepdaughters talia and sienna uh-huh. and which was absolutely brilliant and my lovely wife cal uh, i suppose the one thing that was missing and what we're sort of working into now is the fact that the people on the beach a lot of them didn't know that i survived some of them thought I survived and was living a subpar life that I had brain damage, all based on sort of um, storytelling in, our, in a little town, which happens. Yeah. So I had to track them down, mate. I so, guess uh, people, some people may not have wanted to have known what happened that morning. Possibly, like yeah. If, yep. if you'd passed on the beach that morning, they may not have wanted to know that fact. Exactly, yeah. I think, you know, a lot of those people, the trauma that a lot of them went through, um was um, probably really, really tough, mate, I think, when you think about it. They um, they experienced something I've never experienced in my life. I can't remember any of it. I've asked a few of them to give it to me in detail and I won't pass on a lot of that um, and I don't really share that in my talks either. Yeah. But it was pretty gruesome. So a lot of them, yeah, you're exactly right, a lot of them probably didn't want to know that, um, that, you know, that I'd, uh, uh, whether I'd passed or, you know, whether I was brain damaged or not. So the, the impetus for me, though, was to let them know that I was alive. Yep. And not only that, that I was thriving, that I was getting better and better every day and that I was setting myself up for the best possible life that I could yeah. live. Um, to honour them, I wanted to um, set my targets on changing as many lives as I could uh, and making life better for as many people as possible. Um, I didn't had no idea how I was going to do that. Yeah, and I'm still working it out now. Yeah. But um, that was that was the push and the drive for me to. So I had to find them, and I had in my downtime set up Facebook and uh, set myself up with a hundred friends, which I was really proud of. <laughs> really, a lot of them were from Torquay. Right. Um, That's a good start, a hundred friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was right up and about until my, um, you know, children told me it's not, <laughs> not much to be, you know, super proud of. Um, anyway, I put a post out and it still sits on there on my Facebook to this day. And um, it was essentially the story I've just told you with a photo of myself and Callie in hospital. Um, and the thought process was that they could share, those friends could share that story and find the people who saved my life. We could meet at the pub and I could say thank you yeah. to them. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I promised them that I'm going to live my best life, um, which was great. That was midnight, went to bed, got up the next morning and woke up and it had been shared 3,000 times, which to me the math didn't make sense with 100 friends and, and there were a few hundred friend requests sitting in my my bank there as well. Um, I think the, the total count 
was 155,000 shirts. To date, mate, it's 188,000. 188,000 shirts. Yeah, it's still, it's, it's it's still, still being shirts to this day. Yeah, every day it sort of gets shared four or five times a day. Right. Um, it's all somewhere around the world. So it went absolutely bunter. It, it went all over the planet. <clears throat> Um, and within hours, my inbox, text messages, emails had all filled up with content, yeah. um, which warmed my heart. The issue there was that I couldn't get to all of those. Um, and I had I'd, I'd done three or four radio interviews that morning um, nationally in Australia. Um, I'd had all of our TV stations call me and ask for a story. Um, big issue was, though, mate, that everyone wanted to, the story about me looking for the people who, who found that. Okay. And I didn't want to talk about that. I wanted to find the people. Yeah. Um, and it was only one channel, Channel 10 and the project, when their producer called and said, we can do that for you. We'll give us access to your inbox. We'll find the people. Um, for you and we'll put them on a beach and we'll film you meeting them for the so first time. So they basically put themselves into the story? Bloody oath, it was yeah. amazing and they were phenomenal and uh, that's what they did and that's how I met the people who saved my life. Uh, they they collected as many of them as they possibly could. Uh, yeah, and, I, and two days later I was walking down the steps uh, to meet them on the beach and, um, and give them a big hug and, yeah, I got to I, yeah, eyeball them and promise them, mate, that I... That yeah. I uh, was going to live my very best life. Yeah, so. a fairly big group hug there at the end. Yeah, it was beautiful. It was that the best was, group hug I've ever had. That was on the actual project yeah. interview, wasn't it? That's so. it, yeah. So you can check that out. Check out my website um, and and follow the links and you can find that as well. So how, how long was that after you were in hospital? That was nine months. Nine months. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, so I was up and about by then. Um, so, yeah, still a few heart complications um, around that time, um, defibrillator sitting inside my chest to make sure that if my heart stopped again, I'd, I'd get a decent kick. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, probably around that time is when I had a couple of operations where they corrected the electrical current that we later found I had in my heart. Um, okay. That was possibly brought on by the damage from that first cardiac arrest. Yep. Uh, so it was a really good time, mate. Yeah. A really good time. And at the end of the day, nothing genetic, just... Nah, all, all the men in my family were checked, yeah. uh, my brothers, my sons, my dad. No one else had any sort of hints of uh, heart disease or heart, heart issues. Um, yeah, just Relatively a, fit at the time? Yeah, I was, wasn't as fit as I had been previous, yeah. but before the finance industry, I'd spent 15 years in the fitness industry. Um, as a trainer and, um, and uh, you know, in endurance sports and stuff. And so I was, quite, I was fit enough at the time um, to not, you know, warrant heart disease and it definitely wasn't a heart attack. There was no build-up or plaque or anything. It was just a freak accident. Yeah. So, yeah. And I guess a lot of things conspiring to, to make sure you, you came back. Like Yeah, which is a full term of people who knew CPR. Then the medical student with the defib. I mean, just an incredible story. Yeah, so. the, the sun being out for the first time in two weeks ensured that there were 100 people on the beach, whereas yeah. the day before there were three people on the it beach. It can be a very isolated part of the beach, can't it? It really can, mate. And so. it's something that I love about our town <clears throat> is how isolated it gets. Yeah. I love it in summer when it fills up with tourists and, you know, you, you can park the car in the garage right. and pretend that you're on holidays yourself. But conversely, mate, I love the the really wintry days where you're all by yourself and and you can go yeah, for a long run on the beach. It is a beautiful path. Yeah, absolutely. Coast, so um, I run down there quite a bit myself. So yeah, yeah, definitely. We well, know you know the feeling, mate. Yeah, of, of how beautiful and wonderful it is. So um, yeah, just just amazing. You know, if you, you break apart those ten things that happened to me yeah. to ensure that I'm still alive, it really is freaky uh, and still gives me goosebumps to this day thinking about it. Even the cold water with the electrocution, I mean. Unbelievable, yeah. Unreal, isn't it? Not, not to mention the damage potentially to other people as well. Yeah, there, so. yeah exactly. No, it is incredible. So after that, quick finance. I yep. had six months off work. Yep. You started working with Cotton yeah, it was presented to me probably six months into my recovery by um, one of my best mates who is the GM of the Cotton On Foundation. 
uh, Tim Diamond, and the foundation do unbelievable work in communities all over the world, but predominantly in Uganda, where you know they'll move into a community uh, that is struggling, you know, and start with education first, rebuilding the school physically, but also um, bringing in quality teachers, educating kids, um, then infrastructure around. Um, a hospital and and jobs for mum and dad and you know we could sit here for an hour just talking yeah. about that alone but um i knew well through tim the work that the foundation did yeah. um and the amazing work they'd done the previous seven years and he had talked to me about the fact that he and i had had a chat before my accident about coming up and heading up an australian-based project which I didn't remember at all, but he, he basically said, look, the, the role is still sitting there if you want to come in and talk about it with my team. And that was amazing to me. Cal and I, my wife, had volunteered in youth homelessness uh, in the city with a company um, called The Big Umbrella previously, and we loved it. It was the best part of our week. And to be able to do that as a vocation and get paid for it, um, the possibility of that was amazing, mate. And I knew someone knew that, um, you know, that was my destiny. I knew, I knew that that gave me the platform to help others. So, yeah, I recovered real quick after that. Probably yep. about two or three months later, I started working with the foundation um, two or three days a week. And that soon, you know, within months, led into a full-time job uh, where we started a, a full-time national-based project. That's brilliant. Uh, and that was, that was my entry into project development. Yeah, so yeah. just a little bit more meaningful, yeah. I guess in terms of work and purpose and a hundred percent, mate. And and it allowed me to um, fulfil what I believe was my purpose. Um, and the reason why I've been kept around was to use my skill set, which was my creativity, my ability to communicate, um, my passion for helping other people and bundle it all up to to change the lives of people who yeah. really, really need it, um, which I, I still do to this day, mate. I, I run a, a separate project with the foundation now, um, which is, again, it's a national-based project working with um, young Australians to educate them on how important they are and what they're capable of um, and to talk to them about the importance of philanthropy and helping other people. So this is the Life Changer project? This one, no. So that's I work with the foundation three days a week and that's called the Empower Sessions uh -huh. by Cotton On Foundation. Yep. Um, and I love that. Uh, so that's separate to that. I also work with the Life Changer Foundation, which yep. are a completely separate entity based in Melbourne. Um, and I get to work with one of my childhood heroes there in Trevor Hendy. All oh, right, yeah. Um, and Scotty Waters, who I had a huge amount of admiration for when he was a footballer for West Coast uh, and Sydney Swans and later on coached the Saints. Uh, so he, he headed up Life Changer. So I get to work with these amazing people, yeah. uh, whether it's Tim Diamond and his team at the Cotton On Foundation or Trev Hendy, Scotty Waters, um, Trent Dennis Lane at the Life Changer Foundation. And they're all really influential guys pushing forward to change the life of young Aussies. Um, and so it's a natural fit for me. Yeah. Um, I love facilitating those sort of thought sessions with these yeah. kids, especially in rural parts of Australia. I'm heading out to Mount Gambia next week with Scotty to take a session out there where we encourage young Aussies, boys and girls, to awaken the hero within, yep. we call it, and, and to, to understand how amazing they are, how to deal with um, mental health issues, um, how to deal with bullying, how to stop bullying, which has become super important too, I mean, with social media these days in high school, primary school. That's massive, mate, yeah. yeah. I say primary school, but it does happen at that level now, which is... Definitely, yeah. Sounds um, ridiculous. But it really does, mate. In schools now. Absolutely, and we've highlighted the intervention age at year eight, basically, is, is the most important time to really hit those kids up. It's forcing a lot of us old blokes to really yeah. learn and understand the pressures that these kids are under. 
Um, so, yeah, we work tirelessly and, and travel a lot around the country to ensure that we get to these communities and get to these kids and, and have follow-on programs. Um, so that's, that takes up the better part of my week now, yep. Benny. Um, and outside of that, I do my talk, which is called Life of Purpose, uh-huh. um, and I do that to uh, schools and also corporate, big corporates, um, whether, and it's the same story whether it's a Year 7 group or it's a group of Combank CEOs sitting in yeah. a room. Um, and it is that humans are amazing. We, we turn on the news every night and we get told what a pack of assholes we are <laughs> um, and, and just how the, horrible life is. I guess the irony too of working in insurance and then next minute you're, you're talking to some of the biggest CEOs in the country. Exactly, yeah. Some of the just, biggest banks. Yep, absolutely, about the fact that, you know, you don't have to quit your job and go out and join a non-profit organisation. Yeah. You can be the better version of you in the role that you're yep. in, regardless of what it is. Even in a cutthroat industry like financial services. Exactly. You can still find meaning and purpose. Definitely, yeah. You know, and even more so, you might have more influence there than you would in a non-profit organisation where you've got the ability to spend more money or influence people at a higher level because you've got the platform and they're going to listen to you. So, you know, doing this podcast, doing my talks, my aim is to inspire people to think of my story and it's not about me, it's about those 10 people. Yep. who changed my life, think about the executive decision-making on the beach that day yeah. and the impetus and the drive was to change the course of someone's life through your actions and yeah. using your skill sets. Um, All in the space of 45, 45 minutes. 45 minutes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and literally, mate, they, they could have been excused for walking away that day or, or sitting there and, and patting my head, but they ripped into it. Um, and that's what I want other people to understand, that life is there for you to challenge others who are doing yeah. the wrong thing, yeah. but also challenge yourself to say, am I the best version of me? Am I fulfilling my destiny? Am I being the best mum, dad I can be, daughter, yeah. son, you know, employee, employer that I could possibly be to people out there? Uh, and if not start dissecting the reasons why and yeah. start challenging yourself a bit more. And I think I'm talking to the right audience right now about challenging yourself yeah. because a lot of them are, you know, athletes that challenge themselves. Yeah, there will be a lot of endurance athletes listening to into this podcast. Absolutely, mate. And, uh, and just to take that ability to challenge yourself and dissect mm-hmm. a run or a ride or whatever it is, but apply it to yourself and where you sit in life at the moment and to go, okay, there are changes that need to be made and there's high performance that can be performed in my yeah. personal life. Um, so overcoming physical barriers but also mental barriers and I guess your own personal barriers as well. Absolutely, and behaviour patterns as well, um, you know, and thinking how is my behaviour affecting other people? Um, how is it affecting me and my decision-making? Um, yeah. And it's stuff that I have to do every day, to be honest, Ben. I have to adjust um, the way that I do life in order to get to where I want to be and be a better version of myself every day. Yep. Park the ego, um, which is really hard to do sometimes. Yep. Um, take a step backwards sometimes or step into some really uncomfortable territory as well, like standing in front of 5,500 people and telling your story. Absolutely. You know, but... That, where did that happen? That was, I, did, I was lucky enough to do that in Sydney with a company called... Um, Halogen um, Australia, the National Young Leaders Day, and tell the story for the Cotton On Foundation. And again, you know, you sort of sit there going, why am I doing this? But you're doing it because you, I strongly believe that my story and the story of the companies I represent, like the foundation and Life Changer, needs to be told to more people. Yeah. Um, and it, they need to hear that and I'm the right person to tell that story. So using my skill set, getting out of my comfort zone yeah. and in doing that, hoping that people look at that and go, well, I can do that too and I'm going to, I'm going to, yeah. not necessarily that, but I'm going to do something that I'm, I know I should be doing that I'm uncomfortable with to better my life and better the life of other people. Yeah, I'd take my hat off too because it's mental health, um, purpose in life, it's becoming more and more important. I mean, we had the events that happened the other day in Sri Lanka. People can lose purpose very quickly, can't they? Yeah. So, 
Absolutely. You can kind of, it's very easy to sit back and go, oh, well, the world's going down the toilet, you know? Exactly. And like, um, you're exactly right, mate. And for all the good that comes from Instagram and Facebook, there is a lot of crap on there as well. Yeah. And you can easily find yourself scrolling through it and getting in a, a pretty, um, you know, getting yourself, getting to a pretty low place. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's, you know, these stories need to be told. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad we're telling it today. So, yeah, so am I. I guess your talks, you focus on gratitude, overcoming adversity, uh, making the most of life. So making the most of life for you now is yep. getting back into your running and were you running fairly quickly after the incident or nah, it took a while? took years, years Doctors years. said you would never run again type yeah. thing? Or? Doctors, uh, as a lot of people that have gone through stuff before, a lot of people listening understand this, you know, always are on the side of caution. <clears throat> when I asked my cardiologist could I speak to some of his other patients that have been through what I'd been through, the short answer was no, they're all dead. Um, and we found it very hard to find anyone who had been through what I'd been through. So essentially I was a guinea pig and the thought of running 5Ks was completely off the table. Even, even 5K, a light jog. Yeah, running at all, just don't run, just yeah. don't do it, it's not worth it. Um, not worth the risk in terms of getting your heart rate up. And yeah, and I couldn't stabilise my heart rate either. Yeah. So this little box in my chest gives a direct link to my cardiologist. Basically, he can see when I've got an elevated heart rate or a regular heart rate and he'll call me and say, you know, chill out, I'll switch off. So training... For me, mate, I was in a really strange place because I was waking up every morning and I was incredibly thankful just to have 24 yeah. more hours. Yeah. But then, you know, six hours later, I was wanting to exercise and couldn't and was feeling sorry for myself. Um, so we had to work out why my heart wasn't playing ball and why I was in such a dangerous place. And essentially there was no answers. So I just had to keep researching and researching um, and adjusting. And it wasn't until I adjusted my nutrition um, aggressively that things started changing. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was at the start of 2017. Sorry, the end of 2017, start of 2018, um, where I went full plant-based. Okay. <clears throat> stopped drinking alcohol. About a year later, I wasn't drinking a lot of alcohol, but I completely cut it out at the end of last year. Um, and then things really kicked off. My heart rate stabilised. My, my, my heart um, uh, behaviour was really stable and that was really exciting. And it led myself and my cardiologist to sort of go, well, you can start running again. And so, yeah, 2K run, 5K, 10K. Um, so your body was fully responsive to a, a plant-based diet. Yeah, didn't really, really come down to training methods or no, nothing like that. Well, that. I wasn't training at all. Came at the down time. to diet nutrition. Yeah, bar yoga and stretching, there wasn't any sort of exercise at all. And walking, um, it was for me, and I'll, I'm definitely not. Um, I'm a huge advocate for plant-based eating, but I would never preach it. Um, yeah. You know, I'm not. Um, people don't know it unless they ask. Um, I don't post about it or anything like that. But for me personally, with my situation, um, the the danger around animal fats with heart um, issues, I took that on board and it worked for me. Yeah. And it might not work for other people, but that was just my preference. And um, there is the, the Pete Evans tirade that kind of people talk about, but. I guess yeah. if it's worked for you, then... That's it. And, and to, yeah, exactly. I don't listen to anyone else's opinion on that sort of stuff, mate. And, and from either side of the fence, extremist yeah. veganism um, versus extreme yeah. meat eaters and, and paleo. You works for you. That's it. Yeah. And if paleo works for Pete Evans, brilliant. I'm yeah. all for it. Go for it. Well done. And um, if, you know, uh, eating meat and veggies works for 98% of the people in my life, that's great. I'll never yeah. try and turn them off anything outside of that. It just doesn't work for me and it wasn't working for me. Plant-based eating works for me. Um, I'm getting, you know, better and better at the type of plant-based food that I'm eating, like 
um, which is improving my life and it's allowing me to run, most importantly, Benny. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I'll, I'll be keeping that up. Yeah, you're still doing that, obviously, now. Well, start. yeah, you and I sat down, what was it, six months ago and, and started talking about Run Lara Pinta um, and I was looking for something to celebrate five years of being alive for the second time around. And my cardiologist was erring on the side of allowing me to run again. <clears throat> so I took that initiative and, and decided that um, a marathon probably wasn't um, extreme enough right. celebration. You want something bigger. Yeah, so four-day four marathon in one of the most beautiful parts of Australia yeah. was probably the way to go and you guys – Rapid Ascent are able to facilitate that yeah. uh, with Run Lara Pinta uh, 2019. Absolutely, and, and I couldn't think of a better event, mate, to be honest. So, so you're doing it. a full long course? Yep, doing yeah. a full course. Yep, Obviously got long course and short course options, but you're doing a full long course? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and um, to, mate, honestly, for anyone who is listening to this podcast and is umming and ahhing about doing it, um, I am doing it on a very, very restricted preparation and I'm super confident that I'm going to be able to finish comfortably. So join me. Let's uh, let's do it together. And short, long, course, long course, short course, doesn't matter. Just get involved. Get online and, and rip in now. Actually, we might even organise a little discount code for people listening in to the, the first podcast. So yeah, awesome. Fantastic. But you're, you're looking at about 130 k's of running. Yep. Over four days in other springs, so yep. August 16th to 19th. You're going to be fine with that? Yeah, I am, mate, definitely. I think um, the, the style of running that I'm doing now, uh, and you and I have spoken about this earlier today, is very, very different to any running I've ever done. Um, you know, it's, it's all dictated by my heart rate um and keeping it around that 140 150 mark i'm 42 years old so staying at about 80 percent of my um, max heart rate mm -hmm. which is an agreement that i've made with my cardiologist right. uh he hasn't green lighted it 100 yet waiting for a bit of data to come in but um does he have the power to shut you down well <laughs> he has my wife's ear and she yeah. has the power to shut everything but he down. doesn't have his so, finger on the button no, <laughs> no he <laughs> doesn't yeah that's right uh, no, he doesn't wield that much power, I think. <laughs> but um, I respect his opinion and uh, so does Cal, my wife. And, um, you know, if I can get his blessing, um, I think through my, my Garmin data and through the data from my defibrillator, um, I'm really confident, mate, that the way I've been running, um, yeah. pushing out to sort of seven, eight, nine-minute kilometres yep. instead of four and a half, which is what I used to do. So just bouncing, yeah, right. almost Cliffy Young shuffling. Yeah, shuffle, um, shuffle. Yeah, which I'm really enjoying. I think, you know, stick the headphones in. I've never run listening to things before, but, um, oh, you know, I can whip through a few podcasts. Yeah. And, um, they do say that um, you should be able to hold a conversation while you're training for an ultramarathon or yeah, an event initially, don't they? Yeah, or, definitely. While you're building your base, so... Absolutely, and you know, a lot of beginners running are able to come out and, and start running with me yep. because I'm at sort of staying at that pace, which um, takes, I think, a lot of you out there listening would find it incredibly frustrating as I did at the start. But as we've talked before, mate, the alternative is to not do it. Yeah. Um, so it's another lesson in life for me is yeah. to sometimes just refocus and reevaluate. Um, and just take your foot off the gas a little bit and and accept what is offered up to you. And to be able to finish those four days, mate, is going to be very, very special yeah. for me personally. Um, oh, we can't wait to see you up there. So oh, I can't wait to get to the finish incredible. line. Yeah, I'm, I'm very thankful for you guys for the platform. Um, in terms of, I guess, what, what inspires you to run now? Is it, I mean, why not surfing, why not mountain biking or why not... Kite surfing, yeah, a million other sports you can well, do down here on the surf coast. That's all coming to the next step is to to you know surf properly again. I think the issue with surfing is it scares the shit out of a lot of people. Yep. The idea of me being out in the water, um, if I have a cardiac arrest in the water, um, obviously you know you're going to drown. 
So it doesn't scare you? It's no, no, nothing scares me now. You're more concerned about yep. your family and kids? And Definitely, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm good, mate. I've had an extra five years. So fear of dying is completely eliminated from my psyche now. I'm just... Completely gone. Gone, yeah. Not, not one iota of being afraid of dying, um, which really frees you up to live properly. Um, and... It's kind of like hitting the reset button, isn't it? It really it's is, like, mate, yeah. Like yeah, with perspective, which is really, really rare. Um, and, again, it's changed me as a person. If you knew me previous to this this accident, incident, whatever you call it, you know, I was very, very anxious. I still yeah. have a bit of anxiety, but the anxiety I have now drives me to get things done, whereas previous it would stop me from doing things. Okay. So um, you've learned to have a channel up. Definitely. Rather um, have anxiety work against you. Exactly, yeah. Yep. Yeah, I have my and, and again that's from that's working for me. It's it's might not work for everybody, but I'll offer it if the advice is required. But um so surfing is next for me, mate, to to get out and just you know, to get my body coordinated again for that. Um but running the simple answer as to why am I running now, it's because I can. It's because yeah. I'm able to, and I love it. It's, it's a pretty good answer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I often trot out this line with my talks, um, and it's it's one of the posts on my Instagram account, and it's that now I live a get-to life, not a have-to life. And mm-hmm. often when people go, I have to go to work today. Um, yeah. Instead, for me, it's I get to go to work today. Right. Um, you know, I, I have to visit my family. I get to visit my family. I so get to changing your attitude. Absolutely. Your, look, your outlook. Definitely. You know, I have to go for a run. It's freezing cold. No, I get I to go for a run for this morning. Is it's, that more of an attitude of gratitude? It's massive, mate. Absolutely. That's the key. It's the key to everything. And I challenge everyone to sit down and just pull apart maybe three have-tos. What happens if you turn it into a get-to? Um, I wonder how you go if you head into that activity as a get-to um, from the simplest things from going to the supermarket, you know, and saying I get to go to the supermarket today and getting in there and being really mindful of what you're doing, how you treat the woman who scans your food through at the yeah. end, you know. when if she, Even if he or she are grumpy, how do you react to that how do you behave in reaction to that can you flip it and put a smile on their face and be the best customer they had that day and that's everything for me now that's how I process and it's so so different to who I was previous to this incident so have you learned these things after the incident via other people books podcasts or this is something that's come a little bit more naturally like it was there it just needs to be awakened yeah most of it's just from awakening my, um, you know, and dissecting and slowing down and stopping. Um, and, you know, my daughter and I were talking about this last night. When it's time to go, it's time to go. You go for it. Um, and when it's time to stop, it's time to stop. And that was a line that I never really understood previously. So yeah. go time would sometimes be riddled with, slowdowns and stops and conversely when it was downtime when it was time to have to rest and recover it would be riddled with work and I'll just do this email and 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 life became a ball of anxiety whereas now when I stop I stop properly and I switch off and I get to think about these things so that's Um, that's far off everything mate yeah definitely the only technology is aiding technology whether it's listening to a podcast or whether it's watching a tv show or doco that i love or whether so it's you know, you're the last person to be sitting there scrolling through facebook and instagram and yeah definitely that's i mean it. i'm sure you use those channels to promote your speaking and all the rest yeah that's it you've, you've got to know when to switch them off i think as you um, say it's for your aiding yeah aiding those things not absolutely aiding the go time yeah and, and if you're in go time great let's go you know social on and, and we're, we're, yeah. we're going through it but stop time is often dedicated to stopping and yeah thinking about things like the the get to theory that i have and, and yeah. what i get to do over the next week and 
yeah, I get to sit down with you today and do this yeah. podcast, you know. And, and I get to do this podcast with you. Yeah, how thankful and lucky we are, mate, to to, to do this as a job, you know. So, yeah. yeah. So are you, are you a local talkie boy? I am. I've been here for 20 years. Um, so I grew up in Sunbury, just outside the airport, yep, yep. Uh, which used to be a little country town when, yeah. I, when I lived there, but now it's um, a That's thriving a metropolis. Town, yeah. yeah. Uh, moved out here with my ex-wife um, 20 years ago to have our first son, Kai, um, who's now 18 years old. Um, and then uh, we had BJ, my second son, um, and we separated in 2010. And not long after, I met my beautiful wife, Kelly, and my bonus daughters, Talia and Sienna, and um, we set up the Brady Bunch. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, got married two months previous to me dropping dead on the beach. Right. Yeah, so um, so that's... that's... Had you been on your honeymoon? No, no I, we hadn't, mate. We hadn't got around to it yet. Um, again, life was really, really yeah. busy and bustling, and um, I, I don't remember getting married, to be honest, Benny, either. <laughs> really? So, yeah. So we'll have to revisit that at some yeah. stage. Maybe um, a five-year. I think so, yeah. Revisit the nuptials. Yeah, we might, have to, might get to do it in Larry Pinta. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> an idea. To get down on the Kelly and so. all the family coming up. Kelly's coming up. I don't know about the kids. My boys are knees deep in uh, VCE at the moment, year 11 and yep. 12, so they won't be coming. Um, and the girls will probably stay stay down here with their, their dad. So. And obviously your new outlook on life, that must be filtering through to your kids and Kelly and... I hope so. Yeah, yeah, definitely to Kelly. I Not think. that you force it on them, but nah, just it's rubbing off. Shine the light. I know the boys uh, are going to come and watch a couple of talks this year. I've got a couple coming up um, at Deakin Uni on the big stage, so um, I think they're going to come along to that. Um, funnily enough, that those talks are for Year Eleven and Twelve kids who are looking at moving into university. So my story, I'm the keynote speaker, the closing speaker there to, to tell those kids that, you know, have a really good think about your future and what life is for you. Um, there are options out there and, and ensure that it's underpinned by the foundation of you being the best human that you can possibly be. Um, and so it'd be great for my kids to see. And um, they've heard the story a million times, but I think... Yeah. Um, you know, the back end of the story is very similar to what you and I are talking about now about the framework that I've set up for myself yeah. um, as the foundation for my life moving forward <clears throat> and what's going to happen, um, whether it's my jobs or, or whatever I do moving forward, it's all going to be based on uh, trying to change as many lives as I possibly can yeah. to honour the people who change my, the course of my life. But it's, a, it's a brilliant effort, like... Just take my hat off to you. So Yeah, thank you, mate. Thanks for coming in today and being our first guest. I reckon that's a pretty good start to the Rapid Ascent podcast. Mate, you're more than welcome. And, and thank you and uh, John and Sam and the team for uh, the, your support of me um, no moving into Run Lara Pinta. I know that it's a risk mm -hmm. to put a guy that dropped dead on a beach um, in the middle of uh, <laughs> Australia and, and run for four days, but... Uh, you know, the trust that you guys have put in me um, yeah. has been really impressive uh, to both me and my, my cardiology team. Yeah. And I really look forward to uh, to rewarding that faith for you guys yeah. and, and helping push the message of the, the brilliant work you do. So. We'll be certainly nervous, I can guarantee that, but <laughs> I'm sure doing four days of running will be easy compared well, to what you've been through. And I'm going to be the only competitor with a defibrillator in my <laughs> chest, mate. So, so that, that is don't still just, chest. It's still there, exactly. sitting there, just waiting, um, just waiting for if my heart stops, it can, it can kick in. So. So um, I'm extremely confident we know, won't need to call on it, but um, but we know it's there just in case. Yeah, so, wow. that's good to know. Um, and I look forward to giving you guys a big hug on uh, the closing stages Absolutely. of that day four as well when we uh, we cross the line. I look forward to seeing maybe another wedding ceremony too. <laughs> there we go. The pressure's on. <laughs> Going to hold you to that. <laughs> yeah, thanks for coming in today, Sean. Really appreciate it. So where can listeners go to hear more about your foundation and your work as a speaker? Mate, if you the central point, my website, uh, seanpurcell.com.au, that's S-E-A-N, 
P-U-R-C-E-L-L, um, has everything there. So if you want to book one of my talks um, anywhere in Australia, I'm happy to travel. Um, just go there and there's a booking page that goes through to my agency. Yep. Um, check out my Instagram account, my Facebook account, um, and then I'm sure we'll pop something up on the uh, Rapid Ascent web yeah. page at some stage as well. Yeah, we'll make sure, sure it's coming. up in the podcast notes as well. So Yeah, awesome. Thank you, mate. I'm sure there's some people listening that would gladly have you as a speaker at one of their events. Or... Yeah, absolutely. Love to get out there That's and, and share the story with your people. So Thanks very much for coming in, Sean. Thank you, Benny. Appreciate it. Yeah, if you'd like to know more about Run Lara Pinta, head to runlarapinta.com.au. Uh, four days of spectacular running through Alice Springs and the Lara Pinta track, uh, 16 to 19 August. Uh, obviously, long course options that we spoke about and short course options as well. So, something there to suit all abilities. Um, early bird pricing for the event expires on the 16th of July at 8 am. So, they're the key points to note. And thanks again, Sean. Thanks, Benny. Thanks, everybody listening. We'll see you in Alice Springs. See you there. Cheers, Bye, mate. Mate.